Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, is where we're at. Of course, you already knew that. Uh, but and you knew that we're still in chapter 3 as well. So uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 13. We've already covered verse 10, uh, but we want to just mention it in passing as we look at uh, Paul's prayer, specifically verses 11 through 13. Uh, Paul, as a shepherd, as a pastor, uh, prays. His writings, his letters are full of prayers. Uh, and you can tell usually when you're just sitting and reading uh, when he goes into a prayer. I mean, at the beginning of verse 11, he says, now may our God and father. So, you know, that that's a, a key that he's entering into a time of prayer. And if you look at verse 10, he says that they night and day, he and his team. Remember, there were three of them. First uh, Thessalonians 3:10. He and his team night and day. We keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face again. Uh, and may complete what is lacking in your faith. That's not a negative comment. We'll see in a moment. That's not a negative comment at all. Then he prays. Now may our God and father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. Last week, we saw uh, that what he's saying there is if he's ever going to see them again, then that's something that only God can do. Only God can bring him back to Thessalonica. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, uh, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Uh, there's two parts to this prayer. We're just going to do part one today, uh, focusing uh, especially on particularly verse 11. Lord willing, uh, next time uh, we open to Thessalonians, we'll finish his prayer. So really, his prayer is the prayer uh, that every pastor has for his flock. Every pastor uh, who has a shepherd's heart. And by the way, not every pastor has a shepherd's heart. Uh, a shepherd's heart is a heart that, that desires to care, a heart that's concerned. Uh, the, the scriptures say uh, that a pastor, elders, uh, I'm going to say job or calling is twofold. It's to teach the scriptures and it's to pray. Did you realize that? That the pastor's ministry is teaching and prayer. Uh, and so that's what I focus uh, as much of my time as I can. Uh, you are prayed over. You are prayed over individually. Uh, you are prayed over by groups. You are prayed over by gender. You are prayed over by ministry. Uh, you are Prayed over by age. You are prayed over by function. Yeah, I saw some of you go, yeah, age. All right. Yeah. Now, if you're older, that doesn't mean you get more prayer. It doesn't, you know, you know, the kindergartners get five minutes. If you're 70, I'm going to give you 70 minutes. No. OK. <laughs> you like that. So Paul's heartbeat uh, and he mentions it uh, here in Thessalonians, but he mentions it everywhere. There's there's a triad of Christian virtues that he was constantly wanting to see developed in the people that he ministered to. He wanted to see them increase in faith. He wanted to see them increase in hope and he wanted to see them increase in love. Those are three uh, great spiritual virtues or three great spiritual realities. And we see that in Thessalonians as well. In fact, he mentions it here. In his prayer in the middle of the letter, 
But he mentions the same three virtues at the beginning of his letter and at the end. So one of the things that we know from studying scripture is what? If something is repeated, it's really, really important. So he mentions these three virtues three times in this letter. Uh, In chapter one, verse three, if you remember, he said uh, they give thanks to God for the Thessalonians, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love and your steadfastness or perseverance or endurance of hope, faith, hope and love. And then at the end of his letter in chapter five, verse eight, he mentions again. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and we put on the helmet of the salvation of hope. So these are three important virtues that he's trying to develop in them. That's what a pastor's calling. Uh, we, we pray that the Father and the Son and the Spirit would help us all, uh, especially those that we spiritually care for, to constantly increase in faith. In love and in hope. And particularly, we'll see this next time, Lord willing. The love specifically is love between brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church context. We are also, he commands us to love all men, all people, and do good to all people. But the priority, if we're going to make a priority list, is with one another in the family of God. Now, in verse 10 of chapter 3, what does he say when he wants to come back? They want to come back to complete what is lacking in their faith. I said earlier, that's not a negative comment. When he says complete, that's the same word as to perfect or to mature. So what he's saying is, he's not saying you're immature or you're imperfect. What he's saying is uh, you're still new to the faith. Uh, There's still a lot to learn. You still have a lot of spiritual growing to do, uh, as do we all, right? Uh, Even the oldest saints among us, I know you do, feel and believe that they still have a lot to do and to grow and to learn spiritually, right? Right. Just say right so that I don't get embarrassed. Okay, thank you. Right. There we go. Each of us, is a sanctified work in progress. Is that correct? Yes. Amen. I heard one amen and there should have been a hundred. Amen. Okay. Two. All right. We'll work on our amens. You know this verse already and I know it, but I don't want to screw it up. So uh, Philippians 1, 6, which we'll come back to in a moment uh, or in a little bit. And I put the word, we're a sanctified work in progress. I don't want us to think worldly that we're a work in progress, that we improve ourselves. We're not talking about self-improvement. We're talking about growth in the faith. Some of you know this verse already, right? For I am confident of this very thing. And you can say it out loud with me if you want. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So... He's saying those whom God saves, he continues to mature in the faith. He says until the day of Christ Jesus, he's talking about our glorification, the day that we see the Lord face to face. We will constantly be growing, maturing, perfecting in the faith. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, well, that doesn't describe me. 
I don't feel like I'm growing. I'm glad you're thinking that because we're going to talk about that. Well, I'm going to talk about that. You're going to listen about that. Hopefully. But why do we get stuck? Why do we get spiritually apathetic? Why do we not grow? Uh, The elders were just talking about this on Tuesday night. Uh, And what we can do as elders to spur each other on to spiritual growth. So Paul's goal is not to return to Thessalonica to lead them into some emotional experience to get them believing more fervently in what they already knew. Let's see something. I think I left out a slide, but that's okay. On your outlines, letter E, I'll have something for you here. Maybe I left it out. I'm not sure. He wasn't planning on going back to just arouse them emotionally to get them fervent to keep following the Lord. But when he's talking about completing what is lacking, he's talking about expanding. And here's your blanket letter E, expanding their knowledge of God, their knowledge of God through his revealed truth. And as they expanded in their knowledge of God, that would then enlarge their trust in God, enable them to walk in greater obedience. See, the key to the perfecting, maturing, completing of faith is the teaching of Scripture and the obedience of Scripture. Now, Paul, just a minute, I want to see something. Yeah, I got my slides all messed up. You know, I was coming and going. We're not going to panic. See, as I'm talking, I'm also talking to myself, trying to figure out what's going on with these slides. So there's the slide we were just missing. Let's see what's next. It's like a box of chocolates. Okay, I think that's where we are. We'll have to go backwards in a moment. So the Apostle Paul was simply trying to fulfill his divine mandate. And this is important for you as a congregation to know and understand. That the apostle and we're not apostles, but we are pastors, we are elders. We all serve under the same divine mandate. In other words, when I was called into the pastoral ministry, I had a clear understanding of what I was being called to. It's a very focused calling. And pastors today are getting stretched and pulled in so many different directions. But the scriptures tell us that the mandate is to teach the truth. That is the pastor elders calling the shepherding, the leading, the guiding it all circles and centers around the teaching of divine revealed truth. We call it the Bible, the scriptures once for all completed. This book is done. There's never going to be a new chapter added. It's complete. And the primary function of the pastor Elder is edification. And what is edification? Edification is the spiritual maturity of the believers under his care. That is that was Paul's responsibility. That's what was motivating him, driving him. And to tell you, as a pastor, I have the exact same drive, the exact same motivation. And I know that the other elders do as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
for I am under compulsion, he said. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I want to tell you, this is the verse that God used to inform me when I was 14 years old that I was called to be a pastor. I don't know how to explain it. I, I think it's a... Now, you guys, don't hold this against me because you'll, you'll rarely ever hear me say this. Because you know I'm not a touchy-feely person. I'm always getting on your case about that. But good for you. You just ignore me. Okay. But there's a mystical sense to the calling to the ministry. Someone came and interviewed me. Uh, uh, a seminary student came and interviewed me recently. And we were talking about the call to the ministry. It's hard to explain. It's hard to define it. It's an inward compulsion. It's an inward compelling. Uh, it's a very clear. If a man comes to me and says, I'm not sure I may be called to the ministry. And I look at him and I say, then you're not called. If he says, I'm not sure I might be. Then the answer is no, you're not. It's really that simple. Uh, what I want to hear is a man come and say to me, I know that I have the calling to the ministry. And then I say, OK, let's think about what we're going to do from here. And I just told someone recently, too. Well, there are two things you need to have an all consuming love for the scriptures and you need to have an all consuming love for people. I've seen a lot of pastors who have a love for the scripture, but not for people. Hope you don't think that about me. Okay. But I've also seen pastors who have a tremendous love for people, but not so much for the scriptures. They're studying, they're preparation, they're teaching. There has to be both. So Paul felt the compulsion, as do I. And I know some of the other men as well. Paul also said, and now I commend, he was talking to the believers there. Uh, I think it was in Lystra. Don't quote me on that. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, talking about the scriptures. The scriptures or his word is able to build you up. And give you the inheritance among all the sanctified. Build up. Strengthen. Our strength comes from the scriptures. That's the, the pastor's role. So here's the question. You're going to hear it many times today. Are you growing? Are you growing spiritually? How many of you in your homes have or used to have a door frame where you would measure the kids all the time? I think that's one of the things that made Lisa cry when we moved. Can we take that door frame? What's that? Uh, no. It'd be nice if we had something like that where we measured ourselves spiritually. Oh, look, you grew in the Lord two inches this year. That's tremendous. Are we growing spiritually? The precepts and the principles of Holy Scripture are the windows through which believers look to see God and understand his glory and his will for their lives. In other words, what does God want from me? What does God expect from me? What is God like? All of that, all of our uh, questions and our spiritual growth and our spiritual advancement is connected to the Bible. I know you guys think, oh, he's going to pound on this again. Yes, I am. It is alarming in America, the number of people who say they're Christians and that they don't even know what the Bible has to say when that's God's word to his people. Psalm 19, 7 and 8. Listen to some of these. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect, restoring the soul. 
Is your soul out of order? Is your soul restless? Or do you feel discombobulated as a believer? Then we go back and spend time in the scriptures. It has a ordering, an organizing, a calming, a settling influence on us. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And what does God's word make the simple? Wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Proverbs 6.23. Can you read that with me? For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs are discipline. Yeah, I messed that up. And the reproofs for discipline are the way of life. That second part, it's like the first part for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And then we go and the reproofs for discipline are the way of life. What the writer there is saying is that, you know, discipline and reproof from the Lord is a sign of love. The reproof and the discipline that comes in our lives from the Lord is part of the lamp. It's part of the teaching. It's part of the light. In other words, if I'm going through a trial, if I'm going through a difficult time, that's a teaching time. In fact, we don't like it, but it's a special teaching time. It's a unique teaching time. Trials, hardships, struggles, even things that my own sin brings upon myself. God then takes those with his word and turns it into a uniquely fashioned, individualized learning plan just for you. And we say we've learned enough. If we... Approach it with that kind of attitude. If we humbly accept it as a teaching time. Paul told the Romans, whatever is written in earlier times is written for our what? Instruction. So that through perseverance and what do the scriptures give us? Encouragement of the scriptures. We might have hope. Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Are you confused? Are you fearful? Are you worried? Then get your Bible, find a quiet place, sit down and just start reading. Slowly, thoughtfully, carefully. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who has said to me, yeah, I spent some time reading my Bible today, Pastor. And when I was done, I felt awful. I just felt terrible. You know, I read what the Lord had to say. and I just walked away feeling worse. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. It's always the opposite, isn't it? Are you growing? Here's the aha moment. If you have a light bulb in your head, this is when it should come on. Or if you have a little bell that goes off, you should be hearing a ding, ding, ding. Because God can provide opportunities for us to grow. God can bring discipline into our lives to help us to grow, to purify us, to strain out the spiritual impurities. God can send a trial or hardship. He can even send a blessing. He sets the stage so that we might grow, but he's not going to make us grow. I think we have sometimes a misconception that we don't have any responsibility in our spiritual growth. It's not true. The scriptures are clear that spiritual growth is a partnership between the Holy Spirit and me. 
I can harden my heart. I can grieve the spirit. I can resist the spirit. I can refuse to be filled with the spirit. God's not going to force. It's like I have no interest in spiritual things whatsoever. I don't want to grow. And God's going to override that. that. That doesn't happen that way. So the key is my response. And you know the three words I'm going to say next. Circle. Highlight. Underline. My response to the truth of God's word is what allows me to know if I'm growing in the faith. Not just what I hear, not just what I have learned, but my responses when I find myself in situations where I have to apply what I know and what I have learned. That tells me how far along I am in the faith and if I'm growing. I know you guys, some of you guys look scared like, okay, is he inviting God to bring difficult times so we can grow? Uh, no, nobody, nobody likes that. Uh, nobody likes that. No discipline during the present time feels good, says in Hebrews. But it's for our own good. If you have your outline, this is what I want you to do. Because sometimes we say, are we growing in the faith? We don't know what that means. We use a lot of Christian lingo. Well, these notes are coming. A lot of these notes are coming out of Dr. John MacArthur's commentary on uh, First Thessalonians for this sermon. And I liked these five five marks to know if you're growing or if you have grown in your faith. So if you have the outline, as we go through these five marks, if you feel like you are learning, you're growing in the area, then circle the number like circle number one, circle number two. When we go over it, if it's an area where you feel like. Or you know that you need growth or it's not happening. And I'm talking about numbers one, two, three, four, five. Then put an X through that number. That lets you know that you have growth to do there. So just humor me. We're not going to bring these papers up and hand them out to everybody. So don't worry. It's not going to go through the prayer chain. Oh, did you see Stephanie? She put an X through three, four and five. We need to pray for our sister. Uh, No, we're not going to do that. This is between you and the Lord. Number one, how do you know if you are growing? And these are based on Paul's prayer here in Thessalonians. First of all, your knowledge of God's word is increasing. Do you know more of the Bible today than you did a year ago? We're talking about content. And we're not talking just about knowledge content. We're also talking about principles, precepts, uh, teachings that come out of Scripture. For instance, uh, maybe you've read the book of Romans, so you know more from the book of Romans now than you did before. But also, hopefully, you know more about what the word justification means, what the word sanctification means, and those types of things. Do you know more today than you did a year ago or two years ago or even a few years ago? Now, this one's probably the most gentle of all of them. How many of you feel like you do know more of the scriptures today than even a year ago or a few years ago. I know I do. I mean, I've been studying the scriptures or hearing the scriptures and studying the scriptures for 45 years, and I still learn new things every day. And it's never going to stop until our knowledge is complete when we're in the presence of the Lord. But once again, 
I have a responsibility to pursue that knowledge, don't I? God's not just going to zap me. Colossians says this. I put the verse up there. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In wisdom, teaching and admonishing. The word admonishing is our word for counsel. Biblically counseling each other. Singing. And I like this with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. That's just saying there's a variety of types of songs that we sing. Psalms came right out of scriptures. Hymns, the people he was writing to. Hymns were referring to songs that exalted Christ. And spiritual songs were songs that were included personal testimonies of what God and Christ had done. And we do that with thankfulness in our hearts to God. That word richly, let the word or scripture richly dwell. That word richly means a superabundance, an overflowing. And of course, to dwell means to be completely at home. So the scriptures, the word of God is completely at home. The goal is that scripture, God's word, totally saturates our thoughts, our words, our deeds, every decision we make, every nook and cranny and corner of our life is impacted and influenced by the word of God. The goal is to get God's word richly dwelling. Some of us, God's word is dwelling in a shanty town rather than in a palace within our hearts. And we need to strive and excel. Number two, how do I know I'm growing spiritually? Because my confidence in God is greater than it was before. I've seen God work on my behalf in the past. And my confidence is growing that he will continue to work on my behalf in the present and in the future. Of all people, uh, Job. This is from uh, Job will come in a moment, I'm sorry. Ephesians 3 says God carried out his eternal purpose in Christ, Jesus, our Lord, through whom we have boldness and we have confident access to the father through faith in him. It's the removal of doubt. It's the removal of insecurity about my salvation uh, and about my presence before God. You know, in Hebrews, that Hebrews passage talks about how we are allowed to approach the throne of God with confidence. Not boasting, confidence in the sense of surety, knowing that God is working. Thirdly, how do I know I'm growing? Because my trust in God's sovereignty is stronger than it was before. In other words, I understand and I wholeheartedly embrace No matter what my circumstances may look like, no matter what my fears or my doubts or my insecurities may be, I am confident and I am sure and I trust that God is still on the throne accomplishing his perfect good will exactly as he wants it to be. If you know anything about Job, then these words are astounding, aren't they? When Job said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And he suffered greatly. He was saying, I know, God, if you wanted to change things for me, you would. So obviously this is your will for me. And I embrace it as acceptable. 
This is a big one right here. And by the way, I have X's on some of these numbers. I'm not telling you which ones, but I'm just trying to encourage you to let you know. Even your pastor has work to do, which a lot of you already know that anyway. Okay. I know I'm growing if my obedience to God and Christ is consistent. Is consistent. Of course, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It's not just taking in knowledge. It's not just learning up here, but it's following and obeying those commands, especially when things get tight and difficult. I'm not up and down when things are good. Yeah, I'm obedient. I'm following the commands of Scripture. But when things get hard, ooh, I get a little shaky. When I don't have all the answers and things aren't working out the way I want them to work out, then my obedience kind of to Scripture and to the Lord kind of gets erratic, kind of gets up and down. The perfecting faith, the maturing faith, the completing faith of the believer over the course of his life with the Lord, his obedience to Scripture and to the Lord becomes more consistent. It's because I learned to have confidence in him. I'm growing my knowledge of him. I'm trusting his sovereignty more. That encourages me to obey him. Lastly, this is the one you're going to like the least. That's why it's last. I didn't want you checking out at the beginning. I know I'm growing in my, in my faith or in the faith if I'm finding joy in my trials. Now, joy, of course, doesn't mean that I'm giddy and I'm laughing. and Oh, oh good, I get to suffer. That's not what the word means. Joy is a deep-seated contentment, irregardless of circumstances, because of solid confidence in the presence and will of God. Don't ask me to repeat that because I don't remember everything. It's a deep-seated contentment in the perfect will of God. It doesn't wane. It doesn't go up and down based on circumstances. That's what happiness does. The world is chasing after happiness. But happiness is directly tied to whether or not things are going my way. I can be, James chapter 1 tells me, that I can be in the midst of the most difficult trial and still have joy. A deep-seated contentment that God is present and that God is working. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It is very interesting. It's something we do want to take note of that he doesn't say, be happy, brethren, because there is a word for happy. Do you know the word in the Bible for happy? It's in the Beatitudes. Blessed. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. But here he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith. What's the next word? Okay, I need a little louder than that. Produces. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We find joy in our trials because our trials and hardships are a tool of sanctification that God uses to shape and mold us more into the image of Christ, which is his goal. Romans 8:29 through 30. We love to quote Romans 8:28. And it's a wonderful verse. 
God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But then right there after that, it says that his goal is to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God's goal in your life, what God is trying to do in your life is to make you like Jesus. To make you Christ like. Isn't that what the word Christian means? It means little Christ. So we can find joy in our hardships because we know that that hardship is producing. It's active. It's at work. It's accomplishing something. It's not just random chaos. It's not just karma. It's not just coincidence. It's the divine sovereign hand of a God out of love conforming us into the image of Christ. I would hope On the day that I step into the Lord's presence, people will say, oh, you look just like Jesus. That'd be nice to hear, wouldn't it? Or or the father's going to say, I recognize you because you look like my son. So are you growing? Are you growing spiritually? Which of those areas? And it's okay to say, yeah, the Lord's been Growing me in that area. And then which areas, though, need some attention? So a perfecting, maturing faith, which was Paul's prayer, is the foundation for the obedient and powerful Christian life or for Christian living. We often say, oh, I'd love to have a more powerful Christian life. Or I wish I could live a more solid, consistent, energetic Christian life. Well, in order for that to happen, we have to constantly be perfecting or maturing in the faith. We have to be growing in our knowledge of God in the scriptures. We have to be growing in our confidence in God. We have to be growing in our sovereignty, in God's sovereignty. We have to be increasing in our obedience to his commands. And we have to be growing in our ability to find joy in our trials. Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Why did they go back? To strengthen the souls of the disciples there, encouraging them to what? Continue in the faith. Continue. That's really the key word for this morning. Continue. Are you continuing in the faith? Or have you hit a a rut or a hole or an obstacle? What can you do to continue? What can you remove so that you can continue? Christ reconciled us in his fleshly body, Colossians 1, through death. If indeed you what? Continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Oh, that's Second Thessalonians. Sorry, I went brain dead. I'm like, why do I have that up there? Second Thessalonians, his second letter in chapter one, verse three. He said we ought always. His prayer was answered. He was praying for this. And then his prayer is answered. Because when he wrote them a few months later, he wrote the second letter to them. He said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. He prayed for them to grow spiritually. And in a matter of months, he knew that they were growing spiritually and it encouraged him. 
Look in your scriptures at First Thessalonians chapter four. At the beginning. Verse one, First Thessalonians four, one, finally, brethren. We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk. And that word means to live how you ought to walk or to live and please God in your living. And actually you are doing it, he says. But then he asks them or commands them to what? That you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He said, you're doing a great job. You got off to a great start. But we want to remind you to keep excelling. To keep excelling. To give of your best to the master. To give all you have in the Christian race. To give every ounce that you can muster toward your spiritual growth. He's commending them. But he's saying, don't get comfortable. Don't stop. Keep going. We need to make sure that we are excelling. That we are excelling. Notice the partnership. How did they do it? They were responsible to excel. But as we saw Philippians 1.6, it is God who is at work in them as they strive to excel. That partnership. I wanted, I should have read these action items first. We need to understand that when God has us open his word, he expects something from us. This is what he's expecting. This is on the bottom of your outline, page two. You must grow in the faith. It's a command. First Peter 2, 2. Crave the pure milk of the word, he told them. You must grow in biblical knowledge. It's not optional. Are you giving yourselves opportunities to grow in your understanding of Scripture? Are you reading your Bible enough? And are you getting enough sound teaching? The explaining of that Scripture. God expects you to increase increase in your trust in him. And he's going to put you in situations with his trust and his sovereignty. He's going to put you in situations so that you will learn to deepen that trust in him. He's not putting you in situations because he's got something out for you. He's doing it because he wants to purify you. He wants to strengthen you. We all must increase in obedience to scripture. And we all must humbly accept trials as God's sanctifying tool of grace and mercy to make us more like Christ. That's easy enough, right? I would say pick one. (laughs) Pick one. Look at those five marks of growing in the faith. I would challenge you and encourage you to just pick one of those where you know that you need to see improvement. Get very specific about what you can do to increase in that area. And the scriptures that support it. Let's close with a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we know that the watchword for today is continue. Not just continue, but to continue and excel. To excel in our spiritual lives. Father, we need to confess openly before you that a lot of things that we invest in are worthless. We devote a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of resources to things that have no eternal value. While we let our spiritual lives languish. But Paul's very clear that we are to enter into partnership with the Holy Spirit. We are to take concrete, practical steps to ensure that we are striving towards excellence in our spiritual lives. That we are growing in the knowledge of Scripture. That our confidence in you is growing. That our trust in you is growing. That our trust in your sovereignty is growing. And that we view and respond to our trials and hardships with the understanding that you are using those to sanctify us, to grow us. So, Father, we, we of course, need your help. We, we're in desperate need of your grace. In your mercy, because we respond very badly to the events of life when we're disappointed and we're hurt and we're confused or we don't have all the answers. We we many times quickly want to run away and isolate ourselves and hide and we put our Bibles away and we do all the things that we shouldn't be doing. So, Father, we pray that your grace would be upon us, that you would drive us to your word, because that's the key. That's the key to the entire Christian life, being in your word. You gave it to us to be a light to our path, to strengthen us, to purify us, to settle our souls, to clarify our thinking. So, Father, we understand that we're all a work in progress, that we're all a sanctified work in progress. So, Father, may we be excited about growing spiritually. May we come alongside one another and spur each other on to grow spiritually. May we be talking with one another about Christ and talking to one another about Scripture and praying together and, and spurring each other on to evangelism and Bible study and, and fellowship and ministry, all those things. We just pray for a real spirit of revival here that starts with each of us personally striving to excel in our spiritual lives. Father, thank you so much for your many blessings, your many goodnesses to us that we don't deserve, your love, the greatest of all, your son, who paid the penalty for our sins that we might have eternal life. We are eternally indebted and grateful. So, Father, thank you for bringing us together. If any good thing happened here today, we give all that glory to you and we entrust ourselves to you fully with complete confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Hope you're encouraged and strengthened. And I will see you July 16th.